Welcome back to Tune Into Nature. My name is Kelly. And my name is Becky. You're listening to Tune Into Nature. Today's episode, we are doing a follow-up on our Cameron Peak Fire episode that we did last semester. Now that the fire has been extinguished, the landscape is recovering from the Cameron Peak Fire. With us, we have Dr. Mark Paschke, who I've also just happened to take a couple of classes from. With that, Dr. Paschke, would you introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. Hi, everybody. I'm Mark Paschke. I'm a professor of restoration ecology in the Department of Forest and Rangeland Stewardship, which is in the Warner College of Natural Resources. To start off, what sparked your interest in ecological restoration? Well, it's hard to point to one particular thing. It's kind of a series of things that happened to me during my life. But uh, I grew up in a place uh, which had a lot of nature close at hand. So I had a, a, a wooded area not far from where I lived as a young child. So I always played there and collected bugs and chased snakes and did all those kind of things that kids do when they have access to nature. So that helped a lot. The other thing is my dad worked for the Soil Conservation Service uh, when I was a kid, and he used to take me out uh, doing some of his work. They would go to old mine sites, for example, and plant trees. Um, and as a young kid, that I thought that was really cool, not only going to mine sites and finding fossils, but getting to plant trees and think about the idea of taking these disturbed areas and making them green again. And that kind of appealed to me, but I never really thought about it that much. Um, but I did end up going to uh, college and studying forestry. And I gravitated not so much to the industrial side of forestry, but to the ecological aspects of forestry. And as I was studying forestry, I became more and more interested in using trees to reclaim mined areas. And so I for my master's degree, I studied nitrogen fixing trees and how they can be used to reclaim mined areas. And that interest in ecology kind of led me to thinking about soil systems as well. And so when I did my PhD, I worked on thinking about uh, below ground aspects of forests and how they recover after disturbance. And then after I graduated from uh, university, University of Illinois, with a PhD, I ended up uh, coming to CSU where I worked with a couple of fellows, Terry McClendon and Ed Redente, who were working in sort of this new area that people were calling restoration. And I thought that was really cool and got, my, um, got introduced to this concept of restoration through Ed and Terry here at CSU. And, and that's how I got here. Wow, that's awesome. Where were you growing up? I was in Illinois, a okay. town called Kankakee, about 60 miles south of Chicago, which people often don't associate with you know, nature and wild. But when you're only two feet tall, uh, <laughs> the whole world seems a lot bigger. It's <laughs> awesome. Um, so with that, um, and thanks for that background, Mark, what are your current research projects on ecological restoration? Well, me and my students have a lot of different projects going on right now. Uh, a lot of them focus on um, exploring how soil microbial communities can be manipulated to improve ecological restoration. So we look at how plants interact with soil organisms quite a bit. Uh, we're, we have projects looking at how various native seed mixtures and soil treatments can improve restoration success in degraded shrublands and mined areas. Uh, we have a few projects looking at how native nitrogen-fixing plants, things like buffalo berry, ceanothus, mountain mahogany, and bitterbrush, uh, can impact recovery in post-fire areas. And uh, 
and a few other uh, projects looking at how we can improve mindland reclamation throughout the Western United States. That's really cool. Uh, continuing on that thread of research, and you talked about some of that um, looking at post-fire. Do you know of any current research or restoration projects that are happening in the Cameron Peak area? Yeah, there's actually quite a lot going on, um, not just at CSU, but other universities are doing research up there as well. The U.S. Forest Service and the National Park Service also have people that are doing research up there. In terms of people at CSU, uh, one of my graduate students, uh, I mentioned the nitrogen fixing shrub study that's actually happening up in the Cameron Peak Fire area. There's also several faculty in my department, Forest and Rangeland Stewardship, that are studying various aspects of recovery, mostly from the forestry standpoint and how the trees in the forest are recovering. There's also uh, several faculty in other departments in the college that are studying how to reduce sedimentation after the fire. So there's, there's really a lot going on. I remember one of the things that I, we talked about in your class was the hydrophobic soils after fires, where the soil kind of repels the water as being, I connected with that, <laughs> with what you were saying. I don't know if you want to speak more on that. Yeah, that's often a big problem with these um, large, really hot fires, uh, like that Cameron Peak fire. It burned really hot in some areas. And when that happens, some of the soils actually change chemically in a way that prevents water from going into the soil, at least very deep into the soil. It can go in a little bit, maybe an inch or less than an inch. And what happens then is when you have a rain event after the big fire, that water that can't seep into the soil flows over the top of the soil, which is not good in a mountain environment. And so it just takes everything with it that's above that hydrophobic layer in the soil. Usually that's, you know, an inch of soil that just runs down the hill. And that's often what leads to um, big problems with water quality and landslides and sedimentation. Wow, that's wild. <laughs> I've never heard of that before. So as we all know, restoration ecology is our newest major to Warner College as of 2018. Mark, would you mind explaining a little bit about what the Restoration Ecology major is and what it means to you? Yeah, I guess if I had to sum it up in, um, in one sentence, I'd say that the Restoration Ecology major is all about giving back rather than taking from nature. And I think that's really cool. And if that's an idea that resonates with listeners, I would encourage them to check out our Restoration Ecology major. It's a new major, as you suggested. It's becoming very popular. And I think there's a lot of potential for jobs in that area in the future. Uh, but students in that major focus on the social, physical, and biological sciences, but they dive really deep into the ecology and management of native ecosystems. And the goal is to learn how to guide the recovery of degraded ecosystems. And being a restoration ecologist is like being a doctor, but our patients are ecosystems rather than people. So kind of backtracking to what we were talking about with the Cameron Peak Fire and how that relates to the restoration ecology, what's the current status of the Cameron Peak Fire restoration efforts and how are students maybe getting involved in that if they're interested? Well, most of the efforts so far have really been focused on emergency watershed uh, protection efforts, uh, and that's really to protect the front range water supplies that have been impacted by the fire. 
So there's been a lot of work on just preventing soil erosion along the Poudre River, for example, and its tributaries. There's been a lot of work trying to stabilize steep slopes near roads and streams and using seeding and mulching and installing structures to divert that water flow. So there really hasn't been a lot of the kind of work that students can get involved with. It's a lot of its engineering stuff and and work by the Forest Service and other federal agencies at this point. But once those sort of emergency efforts are addressed, the attention's going to change focus to reforestation and figuring out how um, and where trees tree planting might be needed. And this is kind of a new and emerging area for the Forest Service in Colorado, because in the past our fires usually wouldn't, um, you, they would usually recover on their own because they were small enough and didn't burn as hot. But now the fires are bigger and hotter and the trees may not come back as quickly. So we have to consider active restoration efforts. And that's probably where the focus will change to in the next few years. Kind of to add to that. So with the impacts of climate change and our increasing knowledge of these systems, have you seen restoration practices change over time? Oh, they've they've definitely changed a lot. Uh, so, you know, when I was younger, the emphasis was really more on reclamation. And that's kind of where ideas and restoration came from was this idea of reclamation. And that's where, you know, regulations were forcing people to clean up their messes uh, under this banner of reclamation. And this was often in highly disturbed areas such as mine lands, where very heavy-handed techniques borrowed from agriculture were used to reclaim the land. And the emphasis then was more on improving soils and planting very simple seed mixes, often non-native plant species. And this worked for getting plant cover, providing forage for livestock, and stopping erosion. But we learned that these simple um, and productive plant communities were not resilient to change. They needed lots of maintenance and they were not uh, promoting native biodiversity, such as pollinators, birds, and other wildlife. So in the past, we were really focused on putting the pieces of the um, broken ecosystem back together, the soil, the seed, landform. And then we would walk away and call it good. But more recently, we're focusing less on the pieces of the restored ecosystem and more on processes that lead to biodiversity and resilience to climate change. So there's an emphasis on the ecology of the recovery process uh, by using things like diverse native seed mixes um, and attention to the interactions between all the different organisms in the ecosystem. And then another big change that's happened in recent years is we've been moving away from an emphasis on the past to an emphasis on the future. And back in the 1970s and 80s, when people became very interested in the idea of restoring ecosystems, the idea was that we'd be bringing back the past. Uh, you know, some condition from the past would be recreated, and that was restoration. But people quickly learn that the past is gone and not something that we can very readily bring back. Um, but we can plan for the future. So more recently, there's growing awareness of the need to have diverse perspectives guiding restoration projects and to focus on the future needs of uh, diverse human communities as opposed to focusing on the past. And that's kind of how it's changed from that past of being really about reclamation to being more future-centered on restoration. Well, it's great to hear that Things have changed from the past and are improving, but I'm sure nothing's perfect as you talked about. 
But if you had to say or choose one thing that is going to be the centerpiece for the future of restoration, what do you think the future looks like in this field? I think it really is um, really shifting focus to the future and thinking about making systems resilient to change uh, in the face of things like climate change. So we're still kind of infatuated with the past and we still sometimes approach restoration projects from the perspective of we're going to bring something back that was there before. But um, with the reality is we live in a universe where time only goes forward. So we need to give up the idea of recreating the past. And we have to unburden ourselves from that sort of mindset. And we, then we can begin to focus on what species need to go where and uh, how to get them to get them and keep them there. Or rather, that's that's been the focus in recent years was more on how do we get species where we want them and then keep them there. But we need to really start thinking about how to create assemblage of species that are adapted to change and will continue to provide those goods and services that we depend on them for. And I thank you for that. And I know you kind of touched on this before, but how would you say that our practices today could be improved? Well, again, I think that um, that we need to take a more holistic approach to restoration. We often approach it by thinking about a particular um, aspect of the ecosystem, like maybe just the plants or maybe just the animals or maybe just water quality. And I think if we start to think about the entire ecosystem and we start to include more viewpoints on restoration from people with, from different backgrounds and, and different ideas about what the future should hold, uh, hold for those ecosystems, I think we'll be in a much better place to actually be effective at restoring these ecosystems. Thanks for all that insight. And I know Becky mentioned earlier, she took a few classes from you and your professor in the restoration ecology department. So would you mind speaking on your experience teaching those type of classes? Sure. I started teaching an ecological restoration class back in 2010. And at that time, I was part of the rangeland ecology major. And that course, RS-478, had been taught prior to that by Ed Redente. And Ed started offering that class in the 1980s, which makes it one of the first such classes in the United States. And then since 2010, I've, um, I've taught that class every spring semester. And over the years, the class has grown. And now in addition to range students, there are students that are majoring in ecological restoration, and there are students that are minoring in ecological restoration, and there are students from across campus that take that class just because they're interested in restoration. But I also now teach a couple other classes. I teach a restoration case studies class in the fall, NR479, and a uh, case studies field trip that happens uh, at the end of every summer, and that's NR-477. I think I took the case studies class from you, Mark. <laughs> I think you did. <laughs> I loved it. It was super fun. I always tell students that was like during COVID, the best class to take because it just, it broke up the day so much. And hearing, you know, case studies from students that were uh, some of them, a lot of them are actually like CSU graduates, which was super inspiring to know that they once sat in my seat and now they're out there changing the world. But um, moving on, would you have any advice or words of wisdom for students coming to CSU or thinking about going into restoration ecology? Yeah, I, I think the the best advice I can give students that are just starting in the degree is to um, to hang on. Uh, you know, you do have to take a lot of the introductory classes that a lot of the other students across campus have to take, 
And sometimes students are so enthusiastic about restoration that they want to start taking restoration classes when they're freshmen. But unfortunately, you got to get some of those other classes out of the way before you can get into restoration. So my best advice is to to stick with it, you know, work your way through those introductory classes, which are really important later on. A lot of students think they'll never use math or chemistry or those things, but it turns out that out in the real world, those sort of classes become really important. So it's important to to work your way through those and then you get to do the fun stuff uh, later on, the restoration and the ecology part of the curriculum. I can vouch that those introductory classes are not always the most fun, (laughs) but if you stick through it, you get to the fun things, like you said. And so a fun question to close out the session, what's your most rewarding restoration effort that you've been a part of or witnessed? Well, probably the coolest thing I can recall is uh, when I first started at CSU with Ed Redente, the guy I mentioned that I I started working with here, he was working on a a mine land reclamation project down in the San Juans. It was the Summitville Mine Superfund site. It was a gold mine that everything that could go bad went wrong and, um, and it turned into a big mess. And Ed started a project there to design a revegetation of that entire mine site. And that was when I first got to CSU back in the early 1990s. So I got to be part of that uh, implementation of that revegetation. And I've been able to see it uh, over the years, how it's changed from being a giant uh, bare ground uh, patch on the side of a mountain uh, to really greening up. And we followed the ecology of these plant communities and how they've changed over time. We've seen wildlife come back to the mine site. So it's just been really cool to see the process play out over the long run and see the the rewards of turning an industrial superfund wasteland into a thriving ecosystem once again. It's a very rewarding experience. That sounds really awesome <laughs> that you're able to see that all come together. Well, I think that's all we have for today. Thank you so much for joining us, Mark. Thank uh, you. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me. Tune in next time to learn about Felix at Field Camp, one of our favorite co-workers and friends and also a fellow geology student, reminisce on his experience with field camp this summer. We'll see you next time on Tune In to Nature. <laughs>